0: Hello and welcome back to Oral Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. So, why is May the month of Mary? Here at St. Mark, we're going to have uh, crownings of our uh, image of our Blessed Lady in the church. We're going to have a procession in honor of our Blessed Lady on the feast of our Lady of Fatima. After the 4 p.m. Mass, we'll have rosaries, our Mother of Perpetual Help all throughout the month, but why May? And so to answer that question, I'm gonna offer you a poem from the great Jesuit poet, Jared Manley Hopkins called the May Magnificat. And here it is. I love poems and I think if you read poems carefully, they help you to think about words and meaning. And the poem, The May Magnificat, was written by Hopkins to honor our Blessed Lady. But ask the question, why is May the month of Mary? And so I'm going to read you this poem, and to let you know ahead of time, the poem has 12 stanzas. Each stanza has four lines. Well, remember in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, that our Blessed Lady has a crown of stars, and there are 12 stars. And so Hopkins writes one stanza for each of the stars in the crown of Mary, which are the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. And so here's how the poem starts out, and I'm going to offer my commentary as we work through it. The May Magnificat by Jared Manley Hopkins. May is Mary's month, and I muse at that and wonder why. Her feast follow reason, dated due to season. Candlemas? lady day but the lady month may why well, fasten that upon her with a feasting in her honor and so we have he notes feast to our blessed lady all through the year uh, the feast of the Annunciation which is on March 25 which is exactly nine months before the feast of uh, the Christ mass Christmas the incarnation the birth of our Lord we have feast for Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption of Mary. Candlemas Day, which is the presentation in the temple, um, is also a, a Marian feast because Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple. But why give her a whole month? And so, in the poem, here's how he answers it. <clears throat> Put the question. Ask of her, the mighty mother, her reply puts this other. Question, what is spring? Growth in everything. Flesh and fleece, fur and feather, grass and green world all together. Star-eyed strawberry breasted, throstle above her nested. Cluster of bugle blue eggs thin, forms and warms the life within. And bird and blossom swell, in sod or sheath or shell. All things rising, all things sizing, Mary sees, sympathizing with that world of good, nature's motherhood. There, magnifying up each its kind, with delight calls to mind how she did in her stored magnify the Lord. And so he begins to answer the question that May is in spring and it's the time when the world comes alive. Mary's not a nature goddess. She doesn't cause all of that, but nature praises the works of God. Even the Psalms talk about that, and Mary is one of the greatest works of God that is purely human. Jesus, her son, is God-made man. He is the human face of God. Uh, Mary is immortal just like us, Uh, But she is special as as being chosen to be the mother of God. And so in Hopkins' imagination of the spring, which is giving life to everything, is about the Magnificat, which is the hymn to Mary in the first chapter of Luke. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And so Mary praises God, and nature praises praises, uh, Mary, uh, our tainted nature's solitary boast, according to the great English poet William Wordsworth. Uh, And then Hopkins finishes with his 12 stanzas. Well, but there was more than this. Spring's universal bliss... Much had much to say to offering merry May, When drop of blood and foam dapple, bloom lights the orchard apple, and thicket and thorp are merry with silver surfed cherry, so the image of blood, and azuring over grey bell makes, wood banks and brakes wash wet, like lakes and magic cuckoo call, caps clears and clinches all, there is ecstasy all through mothering earth tells Mary her mirth till Christ's birth to remember an exaltation in God who was her salvation. And so the story of Mary uh, in the month of May, remember the image of Mary in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation? says she's clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and the stars as her crown. It's because the pagan god Apollo was the god of the sun. In the ancient world, the sun was the symbol for Apollo. Apollo was not the symbol for the sun. So the sun was considered divine. Or uh, the moon, that was Apollo's sister Artemis. And again, the same thing holds true. The moon was the symbol for the divine Artemis. Uh, Artemis wasn't the symbol for the moon, if you get the difference. Because in um, the ancient world, in the pagan cults, Uh, The stars and all the lights of the sky were considered divine. It's where astrology comes from. Because if stars and uh, all the spheres of heaven are divinity, well, then they know the future. And so you can trust on them if you understand that they're speaking to you to be able to understand what they're telling you. That's where horoscopes come from and astrology, which is the root, of course, of, of the modern science of astronomy. But the modern science of astronomy is only possible because you quit looking at nature as divine. And so Mary is not the earth goddess. Hopkins, he's Catholic, refers to the pagan goddess of the earth as everything giving praise to Mary because she's clothed in the sun and Artemis the moon is under her feet. Mary, a mere human woman, is elevated above all of nature. You know, in the book of Genesis in chapter 1, and I keep saying because I think it's true, all roads lead to Genesis and really the entirety of the Torah. It's very central even to Catholicism, just as as it is to the people of the Jewish faith. The difference is, is we see Jesus as the fulfillment of Torah promise, and the Jewish people are still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. But in that first chapter of Genesis, do you remember it begins with God said, let there be light, and then there was light. Um, and then he separates the waters. And then on the third day, He, uh, the fourth day, I guess, he uh, creates the the source of lights, right? The, the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, and the point of all of that is, is that all of these things that the ancient world worshiped as divine, these are all just God's creations. In short, none of them are God, none of them are divine. This is why we Christians really understood and came up with the concept of nature. And that's the one important change in how human beings think that permits science to go on on a rational basis. What's really miraculous is that nature is comprehensible to the human mind. I mean, can you imagine that in us developed an organ that's capable of coming up with mathematics, morality, these ways of understanding reality, I should write that into a poem, uh, at, at different levels uh, as simply God's creation and our participation in God's creation. You know where else you see it in the Torah? If you remember, that uh, Moses made a law, Leviticus, really, about um, temple sacrifice. That's part of the law in Leviticus and what uh, animals could be sacrificed. In, in the book of Exodus, remember that Moses and the people escape Egypt. They go out into the desert. Moses goes up uh, the Mount in Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments God himself writes it with his fingers. It's divine law. It's law written into the reality of nature. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. So what's happening? The people have reverted to worshiping a bull. And uh, a bull was a god in Egypt. If you remember the Egyptian gods, um, they all have the heads of animals. And a bull, the Greeks even have it about the myth of Io. Uh, is about how the bowl becomes divine, and that you would worship the strength of the bowl. bowl. And so when Moses shatters the golden calf, the bowl, and he makes people eat it, um, he is attacking idol worship. And so when Moses in Leviticus gives the people the rules for offering sacrifice and creates the priesthood with Aaron, his brother, and um, Abihu and Nadab, uh, Aaron's sons who were the first priests. What is it that's sacrificed um, by the Jews all the way through the first and second temple period? Well, it's all the animals that the Egyptians thought were sacred. So the Egyptians see him as God. Well, like uh, the cow is sacred in India. You've You've heard that about Hinduism. So this is a a religious belief that uh, goes beyond simply the Mediterranean and Egypt. But when God, when Moses orders the Jewish people to sacrifice sheep and lambs and goats and bulls, um, he's showing them that they are not gods. And so uh, the early Christians, in their apologetics uh, against uh, Why it is they would not follow uh, the Mosaic law about sacrifice was that God himself offered the sacrifice, his son. And it goes back to the story of Isaac and his father Abraham. Um, But it's what terminates um, sacrifice under the Mosaic law, which was sacrificing the Egyptian gods by the one sacrifice, which is God's son, And that when we're baptized into the death of Christ, we're baptized into that sacrifice. So let's go back to Hopkins' poem, Um, and especially about the when drop of blood and foam dapple bloom lights the orchard apple. It is that this allusion to the blood of Christ, the drop of blood and the foam dapple, uh, is what gives life gives bloom to the orange apple and thicket and thorpe are married with silver surfed cherry the blood of christ gives life it's why when we receive the sacrament under both species which we'll do again at corpus christi and start doing that in our parish again although people are still getting covid we remember that it's christ's blood redeems all of redempt redeems all of nature You know, the idea that human beings alone are redeemed, this is not St. Paul or the early church. It's through the death of Christ, nature itself is redeemed, and human beings are part of that nature. And so this redeemed nature in Hopkins' understanding in the poem The May Magnificat um, gives uh, worship to Mary, or rather veneration to Mary. I'm glad I said that. Worship goes to God alone. Um, Devotion uh, goes to Mary. And what's the difference? What I was saying, we sacrifice only to God. And the sacrifice of the church is always a participation, not a re-sacrifice, but a participation of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We do not sacrifice to Mary. We don't sacrifice bread, wine, bulls, goats, nothing gets sacrificed to Mary. Um, We venerate Mary. It's why we have a procession to Mary. But you see, if you you don't belong to a Christian understanding of the difference between worship and veneration, then everything seems like worship. Because if you go to a Protestant service, which is characterized by uh, sermons and songs and prayers offered up uh, very fervently, and and please respect it, but uh, they're not participating in the sacrifice of Christ. That's what real worship of God is. And it's offered in the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And so the ministerial priesthood, that's what we think of as the priesthood in the church, which is just part of the universal priesthood of the Christian faithful. Everyone baptized uh, in in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is baptized priest, prophet, and king because you're baptized into Christ, Christ and that's who he is. But the ministerial priesthood um, is the priesthood that is in persona Christi when the self offering of Christ is made present at the altar and that we uh, present that sacrifice to God. Uh, when we stop at the end of Mass on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, the 4 p.m., uh, on, on May 13th after the 4 p.m. Mass, and we do our procession, that is veneration. What Hopkins is offering in his poem, the May Magnificat, is veneration, not worship of Mary, but his reference to the drop of blood and foamed apple, bloom lights the orchard apple, is this uh, nature that offers praise to the Blessed Lady um, because it is redeemed by her son. It's why Jesus at his crucifixion says to the beloved disciple behold your mother mother behold your son she if if eve was the mother of all the living why she was called zoe or eve uh, mary becomes the mother of the church at the foot of the cross and so wow it's a really a great poem and it's a wonderful poem especially if you meditate on it as a christian meditation and hopkins I think seeing uh, nature as it blooms, all the Palo Verde trees that are inciting my uh, my allergies, that they are doing so in giving praise to Mary, redeemed because nature itself is redeemed by Christ. And uh, Jesus himself honors his mother uh, on the cross and also in, in all the devotions of the church. So Mary isn't a nature goddess, but Uh, God's nature honors Mary. So do we. So Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, that's coming up. And that will be the last part of this episode of Oro Valley Catholic. May 13th, 1917. Uh, Mary appears to three children. Jacinta or Jacinta I think they say in Portugal, Luisa and Francisco and uh, makes predictions about the horrible World War I which was going on, the approach of World War II and that third secret of Fatima which John Paul said uh, referred to his assassination and remember Ali Aka tried to assassinate uh, Pope John Paul II on May 13th, the feast of Saint Our Lady of Fatima in 1981, and uh, really a shocking event. And um, he his life was saved and the bullet was removed from him. And I don't think people remember that uh, John Paul himself took the bullet to Fatima and had it uh, put into the crown of Mary in the image of Our Lady of Fatima at Fatima, because he said it was the hand of Mary that diverted uh, that bullet from killing him because the third secret of Fatima I had a priest dressed in white and the pope is the one that dresses in white uh, his white cassock uh, stumbling through the bodies of other bloodied and dead priests um, but that uh, he said that that uh, prediction that prophecy from our lady of Fatima had been fulfilled in him and i thought wow that's a powerful story but i've been to Fatima and Father Pat Crino, my friend, and I um, said Mass in the Basilica at Fatima. At the time, uh, Sister Luisa was still alive in Coimbra, I think, which is also in Portugal. Uh, and uh, Jacinta and Luisa had both died when they were little kids and were buried there in the Basilica. And it was me and Father Crino, and it was maybe like 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning, which, by the way, is a great time for Mass. Because uh, the sun is just coming up, and when Mass is over, the day is starting. It's a wonderful way to start the, start the day. And I think there was only one person there, and so I preached a short homily because I thought, I want to preach at Fatima. My mom was a huge devotee of Our Lady of Fatima. Our family said the uh, family rosary together. Remember Father Patrick Payton started the rosary crusade. The family that prays together stays together. I know my sisters um, still pray the rosary. I think they're very faithful to it. I pray the rosary, and I urge people to pray the rosary um, in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary. And in fact, that was one of the things Our Lady of Fatima asked, is that the children pray the rosary in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary. And I think it's significant, and I think it's a happy thing that the Knights of Columbus, who will be uh, leading... Uh, the uh, procession in honor of our Blessed Lady on the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima. We'll be carrying the image of our Blessed Lady, which I carried back with Father Crino, uh, which I got in Fatima back when I went there. and Gosh, that's been in the early 2000s, I guess. So it's maybe 20 years. Um, And uh, we're going to carry her in procession. And that's just uh, deeply satisfying for me. And so... Um, Our Lady of Fatima, the traveling statue of Our Lady of Fatima, will be visiting our parish on Monday, uh, which is May 8, um, as we prepare for the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. I thought that would be a special way to honor our Blessed Lady in the month of Mary. And so that that statue will arrive at St. Mark's Church. I think it's at 7.30 a.m. We'll have Mass in the main church although we've kind of moved into the chapel during the summer for a variety of reasons. Um, but that um, that statue of Our Lady of Fatima will be there. And I know that in our parish social media and our bulletin, we've sent out a schedule uh, for May 8th uh, and that uh, you can go and visit Our Lady of Fatima in the parish church until she leaves. And I think it's at some time like at 3 or 330 So there's plenty of time to make a visit. My sister Mary uh, picked up my nephews, Paul and Michael. And I think Katie was there too, though. She had just been a little girl. Because they were in like second or third grade, Paul and Michael. They were just little kids. When Our Lady of Fatima came to St. Peter and Paul and Monsignor Lyons was the uh, pastor there. And so Mary picked them up and they walked across to the church from St. Peter and Paul grade school. I went in and said a prayer or a rosary in front of our uh, the image of our blessed lady. And when, she, uh, when they came out, my nephew Paul, who, who was a, just a little guy, um, said to mom, oh, I liked her. She was very nice. And I thought, you know, the way little kids understand. Well, anyway, Paul's going to stop, he says, and make a visit to the traveling statue of Our Lady of Fatima. Be nice if he brings his two beautiful little daughters with him. they have the same experience and son uh, have the same experience of our Blessed Lady maybe they think they'll think she was very nice also but I want to take a moment I want to talk about uh, the procession that we have in honor of Our Lady of Fatima because what will happen at the end of Mass is a very generous parishioner who is a woodworker has made a litter to carry the image of our Blessed Lady on and it'll be have flowers and four Knights of Columbus all of the same size. will be carrying the statue in honor of our Blessed Lady. But, you know, why do we do processions? Because in the Mass especially, we do a lot of processions. You know, um, you can have a group of people walking down the street on a pub crawl. We don't think of it as a procession. Mostly it's just aimless wandering. What um, differentiates a group that's just wandering around aimlessly in life to an assembly of god's people that are going someplace definite is the understanding of what a procession is a procession goes from one place to another you know the people of israel um, in as they wandered in the desert was that a procession or was it just aimless wandering in the desert And the point being, it was really both because that was a very lost group of people. But at the end, when they pulled it together and Moses died, and Joshua leads them uh, with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, and they cross across the river Jordan, which backs up in its course, according to the story told in Joshua. And the priests walk across the river on dry ground and the people follow. That's a procession. It's a people that are purified, it's a people that are of one mind and it's a people that are entering the promised land. And so in where we have processions, because they're very important to us in the Catholic Church, is we have processions in mass. And so uh, think of this assembly on the move, uh, this assembly with a goal in place and how you take part in that in processions. The first procession in mass is the entrance procession when the priest following cross and candles carried by the altar servers, when the deacon uh, is there, he carries the the gospels, and the priest follow at the end of the procession. And it's headed for the place of the sacrifice uh, where the Lord will be worshipped, as I described earlier in this podcast. And uh, in that full experience and expression of liturgical procession, um, we're led by the crucified one who is the light of the world. We read about and understand the crucified one because the four gospels are born by the deacon who will proclaim them at the mass. Uh, There was a controversy earlier on in my life uh, about whether or not you could process in uh, just with the um, lectionary. And you know, the lectionary has the, the gospel readings in it, but it also has the rest of the New Testament, especially the Pauline epistles, and has all the reading from the um, Old Testament in it also. Uh, but the Gospels, just the four Gospels, and it's we call it the canon within the canon, and so we read the entire Scriptures, Old Testament, Saint Paul, through the lens of the four Gospels. Imagine how different you can interpret the Gospel if you only read it through the lens of St. Paul, as if the Gospels were secondary and Paul was primary. And some Protestant denominations have made that mistake and it, it's a skewed reading of the Gospel because of chapter 10, book of Romans, when you believe in your heart, profess on your lip, you're saved. And so um, the successors of the Puritans, uh, the Baptists are a good example, you know, salvation comes because you believe in your heart and you profess on your lip. So, baptism isn't a sacrament. The Eucharist isn't a sacrament. These are things that the Baptist believer, if at least when the Baptist I've talked to, um, say you do that in honor of, of God. It, it doesn't in itself have salvific um, a purpose, it's not um, a, an occasion of receiving God's sanctifying grace. The Catholic says, the sacraments are something God does for us, not something we do for God. And you have to get that distinction uh, right. And it's because we get the scriptures right, that we read through the gospel. So the entrance procession is going someplace. And then the second procession in the mass is the procession of the gospels. The deacon places the four gospels on the altar. And then at the during the liturgy of the word, he picks it up. And he processes with the gospel to the ambo. In some churches, and it's a wonderful practice. They pick up the candles from the ambo and they process the gospel to where it will be uh where it will be proclaimed. Maybe we should do that in our parish. But you know, it's uh with the liturgy, you, you do what you think you can do consistently. So processing with the gospel is really the second uh procession in uh, the Mass. The third is the offertory. When two, um, or a family is my favorite, but a a man and a woman, a husband and wife, or the Knights of Columbus, or whoever brings up the gifts of bread and wine, uh, the gifts that human beings give to God, that God himself will transform Uh, the work of human hands, right? Wheat, the gift of nature, bread, the work of human hands, Uh, grapes, the uh, uh, gift of nature, wine, the work of human hands. A man in nature transformed by God's um, work at the altar through the uh, uh, the, the ministerial priesthood. And then how do you participate in, in these processions? The fourth and perhaps the most important procession at the liturgy is the procession up for communion. When the entire assembly gets up and moves. And where they're moving? They're moving to union with God. They're moving to heaven. And if you understand the four processions, then you understand the purpose of that center aisle uh, and what it's a symbol of. It's a symbol of the pathway to God. So we'll be going out of the church on May 13th, down that same, honor, uh, that same aisle with a procession around the church in honor of our Blessed Lady. And I really hope you come. I hope you bring the kids. Uh, I think we're going to carry candles in the procession. Um, in honor of our blessed lady, because we're part of nature too, and uh, we're giving praise right along with the rest of nature, as recounted in uh, Hopkins' May Magnificat. Remember in the Magnificat, she says, all generations will call me blessed. Uh, Well, that's because of her son. And when we honor the mom, we honor the son, and what the son has done in our life. And in that procession, we remember that our Blessed Lady and uh, her example of, uh, of devotion that leads her to the foot of the cross also draws us in that holy procession back to our Creator. Uh, we're not a gaggle of people, although sometimes you could say we're as disorganized as the people in the, the desert in Exodus. We are an assembly on the move, we're going someplace. And we also should remember that when we remember why we take the month of May, that month of spring, when nature comes alive, and uh, we offer it to God in honor of uh, the Mother of God, uh, our Blessed Lady. So, hope to see you, and this has been another episode of Oro Valley Catholic.